Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of um, podcast uh, 10x Hacks for Startup Innovation and Venture Success. We are here today with a very interesting and prolific innovator, uh, Shashi Jain. And I say this because he has been featured for his work in helping the frontline workers with 3D printed uh, equipment, protective equipment and gear. So associate entrepreneur in residence at Intel and also innovation manager at Intel. He has a huge body of work helping the uh, youth entrepreneurs. Uh, he is an uh, uh, advisory board member uh, with Innovation Leader Forum. Uh, he's also a faculty member and he's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he specifically takes interest in helping the youth uh, gel with the innovation ecosystem. So uh, without further ado, uh, welcome Shashi. Hi, welcome thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I met Shashi at a, a conference, the Youth Entrepreneurship Conference, and he gave an amazing talk about uh, what uh, the, they're doing at Intel here uh, in innovation. And uh, Shashi, would you like to start by telling a little bit about yourself and your work at uh, Intel? Yeah, certainly. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, I have two roles at Intel. Uh, my day job is as a, a strategic innovation manager and in the, I'm in the uh, client computing group. So it's the oldest business inside of Intel is the desktop and workstations. The, you know, it's, the, um, it's a very well understood business. So being an innovator there is, is, is a really interesting role. We're looking at ways of, uh, you know, in, improving what we have, yes, but also, uh, you know, even thinking about disrupting what we have. Uh, so, uh, incremental innovation as well as, you know, wide innovation. So, you can roughly think of what I'm doing as taking Intel products and putting them in places they were never meant to go and you know, kind of seeing what happens. Um, so, I am actually, uh, that's my day job. I'm actually on a, uh, a temporary assignment in the Intel Emerging Growth Incubator which takes employee ideas and turns them into small startups inside of Intel. And there I'm an associate entrepreneur in residence, which means that I'm sitting with the team and helping shepherd them through the process of, uh, you know, working as a startup and, uh, because these are Intel employees and sometimes they have startup experience, sometimes they don't. And so I'm applying my knowledge and, uh, and my skill set to help them along their journey. So, uh, Shashi, I, I do see that you have a startup experience outside of Intel as well. And um, how does that, uh, uh, as in you're a consultant advisor uh, for the startup forums and you remember board of directors for Chick Tech, and um, how does it differ working with an entrepreneur outside Intel and inside Intel? What is, your, what is the difference in your uh, strategy to guide them? How, how does that uh, differ? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've always felt like I've had one foot inside the corporation and one foot outside the corporation. You know, I, I've had my own startups uh, uh, and small businesses, um, you know, some in uh, image tagging and uh, retail, uh, some in 3D printing, some in manufacturing. Actually, many, uh, you know, had uh, done quite a bit with uh, uh, cosmetic, cosmetics at some point in my career. Um, but uh, you know, for the past 10 years or so, I've been a early stage startup entrepreneur and I continue doing that in my day job at Intel. 
Uh, and then internally, you know, this new role has afforded me to work with entrepreneurs. So um, the differences are actually not as great as you might think. Uh, you know, the, the outside startups don't, they're not beholden to the rules of Intel. You know, we have a, a number of procedures before you can release product inside of Intel. You have to go through security. They have to go through uh, support uh, uh, and private information analysis and so on and so forth. Uh, with an external startup, you can be, um, you can be scrappier. You could uh, release things and, as they say, you know, uh, release things and apologize later if they're not quite right. Um, so from that perspective, you know, we're, we work a little bit slower than an external startup. But uh, in terms of the skill sets, they're roughly the same. Uh, you know, where there's kind of a, maybe like a myth that uh, startup founders are these mythical people who have, you know, these, these crazy skill sets that uh, they can work, you know, 27 hours a day, you know, that uh, have these expansive networks. But a lot of the startups I work with are ex-corporate people. They are like people like from Intel. They just have decided to invest in themselves and have gone outside the corporation. Um, not everyone can do that for various reasons. You know, if you have kids in, in college, but you have yeah. an amazing idea, then uh, being an entrepreneur is actually a pretty good path. Yeah. Uh, so you just have to know how to navigate that. So part of my role in there is helping them navigate the corporation as an entrepreneur, you know, when to push the rules, when to, um, you know, when to use the process and the, and the brand to, to help you uh, and, uh, you know, things like that. You know, externally, I, I mentor, uh, you know, some tech stars, entrepreneurs and some other incubators and accelerators. And really it's, uh, you know, helping them find the gaps in what they're doing, because oftentimes they are deep domain experts by the time I get to them in their, in their area. And they just, they're too close to the problem. So we, we, we go over from an outsider's perspective and sometimes they're able to find ways to shore up what they're doing. So it's more like, a, it's less about skills building than it is about uh, uh, just advising and providing a experienced uh, perspective. Awesome. Uh, you know, uh, there are a couple of things which crossed my mind as you were uh, describing uh, the difference here and how uh, it's a great way for a youth, uh, a fresh grad to take this route of entrepreneurship. Now, uh, you, you mentioned uh, in your talk about interviewing customers, uh, you know, inter uh, before you launch a product, you get you talked about the example from the Lean Canvas uh, uh, Ash Maurya's template for customer interviews, for customer inquiries. Um, do you uh, use those in helping first time on entrepreneurs in uh, navigating their uh, product market fit journey? Uh, this Is this some kind of uh, template you use as you, you know, groom them and make them ready for the market? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for those of you who are listening, uh, the talk where I met Vida was uh, at the uh, uh, the I Start Valley Conference, uh, and I was it was uh, a presentation that I gave internally at Intel. I just brought it outside and and, and did the same thing for the students. Uh, it's what the uh, what I recommend to any entrepreneur is get out of the walls of the building, Steve Blank style. There are no data inside of these walls. 
and find your customer and talk to them. So I uh, teach this skill by having them do uh, customer interviews, having them do uh, Ashmoria's uh, leaner canvas, the triage canvas, if you will, right. mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, inside of Intel. So we'll sit down, there's, there's like a half day long class that I do where they can sit down uh, and take their idea, take it apart and break it into a series of assumptions. And then we build the questions that they would like to ask and to uh, validate hypotheses. And oftentimes they'll say, okay, we'll get right on it tomorrow. We'll do a survey. I'm like, no, no, none of that. What we're gonna do is you're gonna take your questions and you're gonna query each other. You're gonna help each other. So th two, three rounds of helping each other and uh, interviewing each other. And then I set them out to go uh, into the Intel cafe and find their customer or find, and break the ice and actually talk to people. And I find that that is the hardest part for, for people. So they mm -hmm. say they will be able to do it, but when it comes time to actually be faced with it, it's, it's very difficult. But uh, that's a key skill to be able to break the ice uh, and, t and talk about things that uh, uh, you may be sensitive about. People are very close. They hold their ideas close, you know, and they don't want necessarily to have their, um, you know, to hear negative feedback. But we, that's the part that we help them. Awesome. Uh, I wish uh, I had this, uh, uh, you know, guide, guidance when I uh, did my first book. Uh, I went all out with my first book and then um, I had uh, only my, I was a motivational speaker and my audience were uh, giving me feed, good feedback and I just depended on the good feedback. I didn't go and talk to people who would beat my idea up and, you know, break down the assumptions for me. So uh, uh, I was investing in uh, the marketing campaign, but uh, how well it was justified was were their lead conversions. These were the things nobody told me. I had to figure it out the hard way and I see the value you bring in here. Now, this leads me to uh, uh, the next question. I'm very excited about this article which came uh, uh, you know, about Intel's work in 3D printing for the uh, PPE for the corona uh, outbreak. You're helping the frontline workers with masks. You 3D printed them. Uh, how did that go about? Uh, you know, this seems like an entrepreneurial uh, effort from Intel uh, Innovation Group, or was it was it different? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked it that way. Uh, Intel is is not is is supportive of what I'm doing, but is not involved in what I'm doing. So, uh, I uh, one of my roles outside of Intel is as the founder of the Portland 3D Printing Lab. There's about 1,800 of us in this uh, uh, community, and uh, for the past, and it's been around for the past six years. So we've been meeting at least once a month, and we've uh, done crowd printing projects, and generally kind of pushed the boundaries of you know what can be done. Uh, it's an amazing community, and you know maybe in mid March when we realized that things were getting uh, really you know uh, really bad for our hospital workers. Uh, we decided as a group that we had to do something. And I think it was on March 23rd, uh, we decided we're going to do a crowd print and take some of these designs for personal protective equipment, like masks and shields, like face shields, and then there's eye shields um, for, for hospital workers, and we'll 3D print those, and we'll get them out somehow. Um, this came about, uh, uh, the Technology Association of Oregon reached out and, and said, hey, you know, these, there's these protective equipments that can be 3D printed. Can you help with, with this? And they introduced me to a few hospitals. 
Um, and then kind of separately, what had happened was uh, one of my, uh, one of the members of my group, Connor Weller, set up a GoFundMe to, to do this very same thing. And we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. So we put, uh, uh, we, we put the call out and we got 50 people right away to help with us. And uh, we started printing face shields. There's a standard design out there. Uh, and in the meantime, we, I worked with my startup network of all things, the requests for hospitals from hospitals came through my startup network. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they, they heard, Hey, you guys are innovative. Why don't you help us get, uh, you know, get the PPE we need it. And the stories that they would tell us is, it, I mean, they're heartrending. Imagine going into battle without having any of the protective gear you need. And that's, yeah. that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so we delivered our first 150 face shields to the Portland VA, to Providence, and to um, the Kaiser Permanente Clinic. And uh, you know, from there, uh, we got a scale order of about a thousand uh, face shields for Legacy Health, and then we partnered with another group that was producing the eye shields. So I'm really kind of proud to say what we built is like a manufacturing oriented or maker oriented emergency response team. And in the past uh, 19 days now, we've built a pop-up supply chain. So we've delivered in the past week, 4,000 pieces of uh, PPE and eye shields. Yeah. That's, and it's, that, that's a tall order, 4,000 orders in just one week. You so we got the orders a week ago and we fulfilled them in, in this amount of time. How did you do that? Uh, that seems like uh, uh, that's, a, that's a tall order. It's a huge achievement. How, uh, did you have like people, uh, you know, mod was it modularized or um, did you work around the clock or how, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, it always starts with the people for me. We have 221 makers in, that are actively uh, joined our network, our crew as we call it. And uh, there are 350 3D printers between them. Wow. So when we put the call out. Um, I, I can't keep this. I can't keep this uh, network necessarily supplied fast enough. I put out a 700 uh, piece uh, order, and it was taken up inside of 12 minutes. I think. I mean, when I say yeah, <laughs> we had people claiming them. So when I say taken up, we have a spreadsheet system. Um, that organizes everyone. So we, we take in orders, uh, we as in the admin team, we decide if, they're, um, if they have enough detail, we reach out to the person who submitted the request, and then we form that into um, a coherent order. You know, the number of pieces, the, uh, the specific model of PPE, what, uh, what are their limitations? You know, does it have to be this material or that material? And then once we have that settled, we break it into little autonomous tasks uh, for, for our printers. So they can build 12 pieces, they can build four pieces, they can build a bigger batch if they have more printers. And we do that in a way that they can autonomously uh, do all of the printing work and the initial pass of QA. Then all they have to do is drop off to uh, one of three locations. And from there, we have a fulfillment process that uh, gathers the orders, performs full QA, and delivers them. So all of this from a single spreadsheet. You know, I just uh, happened to do a podcast with us on the autonomous uh, vehicle. Uh, you know, um, he's more in the uh, R&D as well as he's uh, in the risk management. 
he is envisioning a pipeline of uh, you know a pop-up supply chain and a modular supply chain like this and you're here you are you you've realized this this is just amazing he's thinking about this uh, you know they are into autonomous uh, car vehicle manufacturing the suppliers are in china and uh, they are thinking about a hypothetical situation where there is a modular pop-up supply chain and then here you are you're deploying it and you're doing it as a community service this is amazing uh, it's amazing how uh, innovative you can be when it when you when a community comes together to solve a burning problem this is amazing so uh, yeah what what was your inspiration in uh, you know uh, pulling this through it's a very bold effort you're uh, you you're actually delivering you're not just experimenting here it's not like uh you just do it on a, sp a spreadsheet to show results and walk away you're actually doing qa so uh, how did how, where where did this inspiration come from did you work at nasa or it seems like a mission critical environment uh you're you're very uh, ready for it uh readiness uh yes um but uh no i didn't i didn't work for nasa although i am working with nasa if you want to talk about that Sure. Um, maybe later, but uh, in the past six years, our group has uh, done these types of prints before, and uh, it's usually for artistic purposes. Like the very first one that we did was um, uh, participating in this house that was being built in Amsterdam. Uh, uh, it was, uh, God, I think it was called the Canal House, and they basically distributed all of these parts all over the world, and you had to build. Uh, one, you know, blocks of this house. And what we found is that there was crazy amount of overlap. People would be building the same, the same yeah. part over and over and over because there was no organizational system for it. Right. So um, the second time we did this, we actually 3D printed half of a cow for a local restaurant. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. It was, it's four feet tall, eight feet long, and it's the right side or the, the starboard side of a cow but we had the same problems there. They were highly complex prints and we had to have, uh, I think we had uh, 30 printers uh, working on that one and we had to keep them in sync. So we created this first version of this rudimentary system to keep them in sync. Again, taking, breaking up orders into autonomous units and then we came together and built the cow. We also then did, uh, a couple more, one for Portland Art Museum, one for an environmental science center. We actually 3D printed a crowd, uh, like a beehive as well. And I like all that. of this- I like that, you use the word beehive. It's uh, you're, you're inspired by nature and nature is very resilient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that one in particular was really interesting. Uh, there's a local restaurant that has beehives in, uh, on the roof yeah. and they have one of the, you know, those boxy shaped, uh, hives and inside there's these little round inserts so we made those inserts with uh, the little hexagons that uh, bees need but we also laid in uh, lettering and the logo of the of the uh, restaurant so that when you take the honey out the logo of the restaurant's on the comb hmm. uh, so funny enough that one really prepared us for this project uh, what we learned is how to distribute effectively across the group work as a team, build trust in the community that that others are going to deliver and that everything would interlock together. Um, so we had uh, five projects to practice this with as a community. And again, I mentioned um, there was my partner Connor in this. Uh, we, we created um, 
you know, we took this and we replicated this across the people who sew, the people who laser cut, and the people who are CNCing. Uh, and that group is called Makerforce, which is mm -hmm. uh, makerforce.org. Uh, that's kind of our umbrella organization here. Uh, but the Portland 3D Printing Lab has been feeding uh, the process and the community and the 3D printers, lots of 3D printers into this. Mm -hmm. oh, wonderful. Uh, so uh, now I uh, understand that you are always innovating. You're a perennial innovator and in a situation like COVID, your skills are coming together. So you've had five practice projects and uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, you know, a real uh, time of need, you're very organized. So I, I love the way you have this spreadsheet driven uh, crowdsourced printing. So uh, in that sense, what did you learn as a innovator for the community? Uh, were there some best practices you figured out uh, which you can tell the other makers or uh, the other uh, you know, co-innovators with you in, in the community who want to join you? Is there something you figured out um, from this whole experience? Yeah. Um... There's a few things that that really come through, um, and I I don't know if these are obvious, but um, they were not obvious to me when I started. Um, the first thing that you have to do is unite them, uh, unite the community under a vision. Um, and you know what? This reminds me of uh, uh, some of the stuff that I've read in Liz Wiseman's work about being about multipliers. You know, and the mm -hmm. type of leaders that multiply the efforts of their teams. Mm -hmm. That you've got to. Uh, you know, give them a vision. You've got to create debate and ask good, really good questions of the community. And that's what we're doing here is we, we put out, here's the thing that we need to do. We don't necessarily know how to get there. We need everyone's brain power on this to make this as effective as possible. Right. So as an example, when someone sees a problem in the supply chain, they are, in this popular supply chain, they're obligated to say something and, and we will act on it and that people will see that we openly will show people that we are acting on it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then this, I mean, as an example of that, uh, uh, we have a number of anon uh, anonymous users on our spreadsheet, which I mean, itself is weird. How would you have an anonymous producer? Exactly. Well, some people, yeah, mm -hmm. some, some people don't want to put their information on a public spreadsheet, for example. Mm -hmm. And we had um, this time when they couldn't uh, click the links in the spreadsheet to actually open the files because of a limitation in Google. And so we, uh, they started commenting. The one thing they could do is comment, please do this, please do that. And then we were able to, in real time, change that up. Uh, and everyone who was reading this uh, chain of comments saw it right away. Uh, so being responsive, give, giving, getting the community input, autonomy is the big one giving the community something to do and showing them how, what the process is uh, that they need to execute. So in our case, it's join the crew, claim a job, print the job, mark it uh, done and your hours that you've done, and then drop it off in the, in the box. And just borrowing from uh, you know near EL's uh, hooked methodology, you know you've got to have that's the in input side. They they give an input, so we have to respond in turn and show them what the uh, result is of their input, and that keeps a positive feedback loop going here. So constant communication, showing people what the result of their work is, uh, is key. So we we ask our um, 
recipients to take pictures of their, um, you know, of the of themselves using this PPE. And sometimes people can spot, hey, this is the one that I 3D printed, you know, and it gets them really excited and it gets them wanting to do more. Um, and so other times, you know, we show um, the, you know, the bags all collected up and we make a point to show whose name was on, on the bag. So people get really excited that, they, that their thing is being used and is part of this, uh, this network. Uh, and then maybe the last one is, um, you know, being adaptable in the way that we deliver. Yeah. So um, there's a trust mechanism in here that uh, we're working with in, in the, with the hospitals. They are desperate. They have a model where they have one-time use uh, parts and their supply chain has been disrupted. And they're getting these donation offers in, but they don't know how to trust us. So we have to build that trust in all we do. We have to show them things. Uh, so we have a catalog of parts, and every one of the things in the catalog has been NIH recommended or recommended by a European government or hospital or, uh, or organization. And when we, I mean, that's part of that uh, trust. The second is when we show that we know that uh, what their operating environment's like. We know what materials um, that, that are acceptable to their cleaning process. We know their cleaning process. We know that uh, some hospitals need an eye shield to cover the, the top, some do not. We know what their problems are, so we can work with them on the model too. And then in fulfillment, we can drop it any which way they need. So some want it packaged up so that um, they can open it up, swap it down, and, and run. Others want it bulk packaged, and still others want it uh, individually packaged. And so we found a way to uh, to enable the community to help us deliver in each one of those ways. And I got, I got to say, we, have, we couldn't have done this without this one partner. It's called Brainwave Computers. It's, a, it's actually a PC shop that's open now because everyone has these, everyone's using Zoom and needs computer hardware. And they've converted the front of their shop into a triage area for us. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing. I think uh, you should um, prototype this uh, innovation model, community uh, innovation model. This is, uh, this is because I, I when I worked with the, the Kumbaton team, uh, uh, they managed a high-tech uh, Kumbh Mela, the pop-up city in India, 30 million mm -hmm. visitors for 30 days. Uh, I can't uh, imagine what your innovation model can do there. It's a crowd-sourced community uh, managed community, uh, and it's a very high quality well curated product you're delivering it's a mission critical product and you you ha you're so agile and adaptable i think this is the future of innovation uh definitely because uh when i uh interacted with the uh, scholars at singularity they said every home will sh uh, should and must have a 3d printing unit uh in times of lockdown uh, we should be self-sustainable we should be able to print our own clothes and uh, print our own uh, you know uh, gears and we, we shouldn't be stepping out so uh, this is amazing. Uh, are you um, are you taking this further? Uh, is there any more work going into this uh, innovation model? Uh, which you just uh, you know yeah. Yeah no that's a fantastic uh, question. Uh, so, so I was asked the other day it's like when do you know that you're done when you're ready to stop? Uh, you know certainly it's way it's good to measure. Um, 
the number of units that come in, the number of requests that uh, that we're getting. Uh, you know, we can look at uh, when the community is getting tired, and um, we can measure that. But uh, I think what needs to happen after this is just building on what you're saying is we need to reduce the barriers. We need to have a framework for emergency response that includes exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's uh, more uh, pandemic response, uh, response during hurricanes and floods. Uh, yeah. This is going to be priceless what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know the and, and I'm seeing this now in in other uh, parallel initiatives that the governments are seeing that uh, they have to be innovative themselves in the way that they accept uh, gear that's uh, 3D printed or how or manufactured, and they, they have to reduce barriers uh, in during crisis time. So maybe when we're done with with the manufacturing part, there'll be a time where we go and influence policy. Well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I I had a couple of uh, follow up questions, you know, about your thoughts on B school. Um, now that you're uh, you just delivered a very successful community emergency response, and you work with students and fresh grads at Intel, and um, what do you what do you think about B school? What are your thoughts about? I know you recommended uh, uh, near Eyal and you talk uh, recommend templates from Ash Maria and you mentioned a couple of other speakers, but uh, uh, you know, what's missing in our B-School? Why isn't B-School making us ready for all this, uh, the, the practical problems in life? Uh, what's missing there? Yeah, I had a, a long conversation about this with one of my professors. So I'm a Babson College grad and I did a distance learning uh, MBA uh, uh, that uh, is made for, it was actually made for Intel executives at one point. Uh, but uh, the skills that I use from there and the skills that I teach from there are all around the ideation process and the thought of, um, you know, how do you turn an idea into something that other people can understand? Exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, certainly um, the, communication the, the communication techniques and the negotiation techniques I got from B-School were absolutely valuable. But there's a, what I see is that there's a relentless, um, focus on delivering shareholder value uh, yeah. and, and uh, it, it leads to short-term thinking. You know, uh, what are the, um, it, it, it optimizes the B-School grads to work inside of corporations and that are working in a, you know, a, a tightly optimized, uh, in a tightly optimized business. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the startups I work with don't have MBAs on their teams. They have uh, in yeah. inventors on their teams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and they bring in MBAs when they want to scale up, when, when they want, want to take in money, because uh, those people have some sort of discipline, I guess, that uh, that, that can be relied on. So, um, you know, why aren't these uh, things taught in B-School? I, I, I'm not sure. No, but I like your answer. Uh, I have never been uh, disappointed by a business uh, school graduate who's gone to a good business school. They're excellent communicators and uh, they they know how to do due diligence when they walk into a negotiation. They have great pitching skills. So uh, some credit to B-schools there. But with startups, uh, I don't know uh, <laughs> uh, how, how far the B-school skills take you there. Uh, 
You know, uh, B-School skills teach you how to work inside of a framework that's, that's you know, pretty well understood. When, when there is no framework and you're building it yourself, then uh, you, you have to be personally resilient to, uh, to build those systems. There's plenty of people who have MBAs who've made amazing startups. I've, in my, my own cohort, there's a few people who've uh, created startups and uh, in the cohorts are before and after me. I know several people who, um, who did as well. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, addressing these, you know, crazily emergent things like the COVID crisis, uh, what I see my colleagues doing is, you know, applying their skill towards more systematic or systemic point of view. Um, like they're looking at, well, how do we, how do we reduce the barriers to getting the actual PPE that's in the supply chain into the hands of the hospital faster? So it's more optimization as opposed yeah. to disruption or looking at complementary uh, things. Uh, whereas the, uh, uh, I'm just smiling because one of my, uh, we have an extended team here because, uh, and our ops guy is, a st is from the startup community. He's a Techstars graduate and he's brought in startup discipline and we're moving a mile a minute here. You know, I thought I was moving fast and he, he's introduced uh, uh, just a whole different discipline here. And that kind of energy is needed. Uh, and the ability to work comfortably inside of that with some great uncertainty is, is something they don't teach you. You have to learn it uh, okay. by doing it. Mm -hmm. So, so B schools do help in optimizing, uh, you know, within existing frameworks that that's what, that's what you, that's the plus point, right? That's, that's what they mm -hmm. uh, teach us. So, which is a great skill to have because when you are a, a first time entrepreneur or you're guiding the youth, you need some, uh, uh, you know, stepping stones to stand on and then uh, navigate this journey. So I guess, I guess that's where it uh, all comes in handy. Yeah, but I mean, look, look at our crisis situation now. Uh, there is nothing to optimize. It's all shut down. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, when it, when everything is shut down, when the supply chain is shut down, how do you bridge the gap? And that's, uh, I suppose, where we came in is we and. Now that you're, you've got me saying this, it got uh, philosophically, our team decided that we're going to exist to fill the gap until the supply chain can take, can come on board and take over. Uh, we're not going to scale to a hundred thousand units. We're not going to work as the hospitals work today, which is to, you, you know, take really good high quality material, use it once and then throw it out. We make material that's uh, highly reusable. Um, and it's meant to bridge this gap. Um, but we're also there to get the hospitals thinking differently as well about their supply chain, about what can be done, about what are the, uh, what's the art of the possible uh, in not only creating this product, but in how they, uh, how they can optimize the, the doctor's experience and the patient's experience. Uh, maybe optimize is not the right word, how can they look, think differently about the doctors and patients' experience? How can they deliver something similar? Yeah, that's not uh, the the norm. Yeah, I think uh, the FDA process is uh, slowed down medical innovation a lot. Uh, I'm not sure which class uh, is it. Class three that PPE falls under. Uh, uh, yeah. Look what you did. You've done. You've delivered a high quality service, but. This is uh, not exactly under the purview of a highly regulated environment, but you're saving lives. And I think that's what matters here. 
Yeah, yeah. We 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 hope that uh, you know, even if we've saved one life, you know, all of this effort will have been worth it. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, so. So, um, Shashi, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, NASA. You work with NASA because uh, you seem to be very well trained uh, to work in a mission critical environment based on uh, the way you explained uh, how you went about uh, the, the PPE uh, gear in a, in a modular way. I have seen your presentations, uh, which you did for Intel. It's very corporate. It's got all the uh, slides for pitching, customer interviews and things like that. But you know, this skill is priceless. Uh, was it NASA or how did you, um, what, what kind of work do you do with NASA? Gotcha. Uh, the, the mission critical skills, I mean, some of this comes from the discipline that I learned at Intel. You know, everything that we do uh, is, uh, is considered uh, mission critical to, for the customer. So we've got to have a high level of quality, a high standard of, uh, of execution. So, uh, uh, it, it's it's one of the things I'm really proud of having learned there is uh, is how to execute that way. Sometimes it slows us down, but we can we can work within that. Now, uh, as an innovation manager, I got uh, the chance to work with NASA uh, through the Frontier Development Lab program. It's a way of applying AI to space exploration problems. So about three years ago. Um, we were approached by the Frontier Development Lab to participate as a partner. And what that means is that uh, uh, you know, the Frontier Development Lab is a public-private partnership between NASA, the SETI Institute, and sp commercial space and AI companies. And what we're trying to do is bring together the best and brightest people to apply modern AI techniques and modern AI frameworks to these big space problems. And in the past three years, we've uh, put together uh, a pretty respectable portfolio of, um, of and a body of work that is uh, being implemented now. So this is across um, multiple domains. There's so there's um, you know uh, living with our star, which is kind of like working with um, data coming from the sun. Uh, there's uh, all things around the moon and space resources. We call it. These guys are literally. These guys, these space agencies are literally planning moon missions through 2024, starting in 2024, for a permanent presence on the moon and to mine the moon for resources that will help us get out to the rest of the solar system. And then there's uh, planetary defense, which besides being fun to say, is all about mapping asteroids and, uh, and, and data from that. So there's a, a huge body of data that NASA has that, uh, 50, that spans 50 years. And no one has gone back and until recently to uh, mine that to train algorithms. And so that's what we've been doing in the past few years is working with them to um, on the state of the art. Awesome, awesome. Uh, this is a uh, uh, data-driven approach is pushing the envelope of human civilization. We are now interplanetary species thanks to data and thanks to AI. And thanks to people like you, uh, you bring in such... Um, wide variety of perspectives, uh, not only about community innovation, but also about uh, uh, space missions. Uh, this is amazing. What, what else do you, um, uh, you talked about uh, two different uh, um, domains of expertise here at Intel and uh, serving uh, the community during COVID. Uh, what else do you do in your free time? Uh, are you always innovating uh, or is there something else you do outside 
of your innovation uh, you know framework yeah yeah uh the the big one that uh that you know kind of brought us together was the the Thai young entrepreneurs program uh-huh. so that one is as one of my biggest passions is teaching mm-hmm. uh, I, I have uh, it's funny because I never thought this would be the case for me my mom was a teacher and you know I saw you know the kinds of things that uh, teachers go through in our schools but uh, there's something about uh, conveying uh, what you know and helping someone else achieve the best version of themselves that uh, is just is irresistible to me so Thai Young Entrepreneurs is a program that teaches youth entrepreneurship to high school students. Mm-hmm. Um, Thai is a, chap- is a uh, chapter is a chapter driven uh, organization mm-hmm. that uh, is by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. It's a mentoring organization. So I've been a, a, uh, a volunteer at Thai Oregon for almost ten years now, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I was helping with Thai Angels, and then we had a student come and say, "Hey." I want to do this Thai Young Entrepreneurs Program. And at the time, it was a business plan competition. Mm. And uh, so we took a look at it, and uh, we as the board there, um, and we said, this is great, but we are not going to teach business plans. This is kind of an older way of thinking. We want to teach all the modern techniques, like the, the lean startup techniques, the design thinking, the rapid prototyping, storytelling, all of these things, these rich um, things that entrepreneurs use today are adult entrepreneurs and so uh, I wrote a curriculum around that uh, with my uh, colleague Suresh Sinivas and uh, you know uh, originally we were supposed to train some teachers and uh, get them up and running and then we would have this program and uh, uh, one or two things three things happened and then I ended up being the teacher for this uh, this cohort and ended up really loving it so that was five years ago. Uh, we created this uh, program uh, that was entrepreneurship based, and we took a team to this global competition uh, that Thai holds uh, every year. And it was it was amazing. Every other team had a business plan that they were presenting, and again, it was very formal. It was very business school. It was super polished presentations, but it was presentations. And our teams had actually built the thing that they were talking about. They built a precision agriculture system. They had drones, they had an app, they had this innovative payload docking system. Uh, And they had talked to, uh, I don't know, 12 farmers. They had an investor ready and lined up. It was just a very different kind of thing that they were doing. So fast forward five years later, it's no longer a business plan competition. It's an entrepreneurship lab with it's an invention education curriculum. And all of the 35 chapters uh, of Thai young entrepreneurs are using that curriculum that, that uh, we created in Oregon. Um, and all of the youth entrepreneurs that come through our program, there's about 1,800 per year, are learning not just how to pitch, but how to build their idea, uh, how to talk to customers, how to tell their story and the story of uh, their customers. It's, it's, for me, it's a breathtaking thing. And uh, I, uh, I wish I had gone through it you know, <laughs> myself. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Uh, I think uh, they say the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. I think uh, it should be uh, now the teacher who teaches, they change the world. It's not, it's not just a, 
mother is the first teacher, but your mentor can also change the world. Um, so uh, I really love the way you um, made this entire experience. Uh, and there you go. You answered my question. What is missing in the B school? You actually, uh, you know, demonstrated with your example. With have your investor lined up. You talk to your customers. And there you go. You win the pitch competition. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, with that, uh, yeah, I think we're kind of uh, out of time here. Do you have any parting thoughts? We wrap up anything you would like to you know, nudge the community about in terms of innovation. I know you um, talked about uh, uh, impacting policy as one of the things, you know, uh, and uh, you've struggled with community innovation, uh, but you delivered, you know, you, you, you have some things you like to see differently. Um, for, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe, uh, you know, I get this question a lot of, uh, in the community, especially related to COVID-19 is uh, how can I help, you know, uh, the, what I almost always ask people is what, what uh, skill do you have that, uh, that you're really proud of? Mm. And usually they'll come up with something mm. and we'll sit down and talk about, well, how could we apply that skill to, uh, you know, to this problem? So one person was an artist and she does amazing logos and we spoke about, well, what, she was super proud of this and I, I'm proud of her too. I mean, her, her work is brilliant. So what can you do with that? And she was stuck. Uh, so we were talking and said, well, why don't you explain what we are doing in, in a pictograph or an, in, an infographic or something like that? Help us do that. And maybe, uh, maybe if you can make what we're doing easily explainable, not just to the community, but also to politicians and to policymakers, it'll make, a, it'll make them more receptive to what we're doing. So there's always something there. You know, one guy had told me uh, as a 3D printer, he said his wife had autoimmune disease and he, he couldn't do anything except be at home with her and you know, keep her comfortable and keep other people away. And he said until, until the time, until we started this project, 3D printing, he had nothing, he didn't feel like he had any control, but he's one of our most prolific 3D printers now. He, uh, he has something that he can do. So there's always something you can do. You just have to apply a little bit of creativity. You say yes a little bit more than you say no to, to your ideas. Um, and to the, um, so that's on the community side. And to the uh, innovators at uh, corporations, I will tell them two things. Uh, number one is, you've got to learn how to talk to customers. It doesn't matter what your skill is, if you're technical or if you're design or if you're biz dev oriented, and even if you're biz dev oriented, you probably don't know how to talk to customers. You probably know how to talk at customers. Mm. Uh, there's a big difference. You've got to understand what uh, people are experiencing and to turn that into, uh, turn uh, what you hear into uh, pain points and pain points then into ideas and concepts that solve that pain point, not necessarily your idea. And the second thing I want to tell them is never ask for permission to innovate. Just go do it. <laughs> and if you need permission to innovate, I'm giving it to you right now. <laughs> 
so i really liked both both of your uh, you know um, uh, what you call takeaways one is uh, it's very important for us to know what we are good at and then we know when and where to contribute most people don't know that and the second thing is yeah we don't need permission to innovate say yes to ourselves this is amazing i think you uh, this was a really prolific podcast you've been there done that you talk from experience and i'm so uh, thrilled that we did this podcast it i learned a lot myself and uh, uh, i'll make sure that you know this podcast reaches a lot of people thank you so much shashi for your most valuable time and amazing insights and i uh, wish you very uh, very well and uh, thank you so much thank you as well i wish you uh, you stay safe and healthy and uh, i'm so glad we were able to do this thanks for the opportunity thank you